0: Our gospel reading.
1: This morning's reading is from Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 17, and you can find it on page 1014 in your pew Bibles. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared. All these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, We've left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields. And with them, persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. but many who are first will be last and the last first. This is the word of the Lord that's beautiful.
0: If you came here earlier, you might have seen me on crutches, I prefer to uh, remain on crutches. Um, But my wife tells me I'm more relaxed when I'm in my wheelchair. So I think it's me and my pride that uh, makes me want you to think that actually I can walk. But uh, so um, anyway, that just gets that out of the way. I might shuffle around and move a bit so people in the back can uh, can see me from time to time. uh, Because I'm aware when I'm lower that uh, you can't see me. And the young people in that corner there, I'm going to keep my eye on you over there, okay? (laughs) So... um, I will catch your attention, don't worry, because I'll tell a joke or two. Um, The story that we've just heard is quite a well-known story. A young man, or some people call him the rich young man, uh, came to Jesus, uh, fell before him, and the encounter uh, developed. uh, And it's what I call a price tag moment. I've had many of these moments in my life, uh, such as my anniversary flowers, three pounds ninety-nine from the petrol station, or thirty-five pounds from the florist. It's a price tag moment for me. You know, it's, it looks just the same: three ninety-nine from the petrol station, or thirty-five pounds. And a price tag moment is—it's uh, not worth the price. I go for the three ninety nine and I suffer the consequences. <laughs> or go to a restaurant, go to a restaurant and you really want the steak, twenty pounds, two pounds for the sauce. Uh, our special offer is eat all the spicy chicken wings you can for seven pounds fifty. So what did I do? This is a price tag moment. I stuffed my face on spicy chicken wings. And suffered for it. I wanted the steak, and I went for the chicken wings. Just one of those price tag moments. We we'll just change it onto that slide now, please. Can we? i yeah. uh, And the next one, the next one, next one. No, the. That's it. Uh, so. Um, It's that situation that this young man was uh, faced with. He um, came to Jesus and he ended up into this dialogue. He might have been like Roman Abramovich, this man. And uh, Roman Abramovich, uh, this is a joke a Manchester United fan told me, uh, Roman Abramovich was... say I told you I'd catch your attention. Um, He said uh, he was bored with life and... um, He said to his accountant, you know, I like aeroplanes. Can you go and buy me an aeroplane? And his accountant thought, well, I'll do one better. And he went and bought him United Airlines. And after a while, he got bored with aeroplanes. And uh, he says, you know, I like boats. Would you Would you go and buy me a boat? He said to his accountant. His accountant went and bought him the QE2, an ocean liner. Eventually, he got fed up with airlines and boats. And uh, he said, you know, I really like films. I like uh, cartoons. Will you go and buy me Disney Studios? So his accountant went out and bought him a Disney Studios and he sat for days looking at cartoons and he, he loved it. He loved it. And he said to his accountant, do you know what I'd really like? I'd like you to really go and buy me a big Mickey Mouse outfit. and he went and bought him Chelsea Football Club. (laughs) Mickey Mouse outfit. Roman Abramovich might have been this type of guy that knelt before Jesus, and he entered into a dialogue, and he says, how can I buy this eternal life? What can I do to earn it? And Jesus entered in the banter, And he said to him, have you done the Ten Commandments? Yep. Well, all of them? Yep. Got the whole t-shirt. And then Jesus put, put his finger on the one thing. The one thing that stumped him. The one thing that brought him to his price tag moment. He said, sell all your possessions. And join my team. And that was his price tag moment. The young man stood up and said, No deal. It's too much. And then Jesus said to his followers, It's difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom. That price tag moment, thirty-five pounds for the flowers of three ninety-nine. Or stuff your face on chicken wings. The price tag moment. This young man had that moment he stood up and walked away. But there's a surprise here. There's a big surprise. Because is this a new requirement for heaven? Salvation used to be, before this encounter, repent, which means turn away from how you are, and believe, and follow Christ. Before this encounter, that's how It used to be. So is it now different? Now do each of us have to sell up and become poor and give to the poor? And as you might, if I created a bit of a dialogue now with you, you might say, well, who can be saved then? That's exactly what the disciples said in verse 26. Who then can be saved? But let me reassure you, yes, you can be saved. And if you've done the repent and the believe and the follow, then your name is in the book of life. You are safe in God's embrace. You are saved. This is the only time Jesus said this type of thing to anyone. Sell up and give all you have to the poor and follow me. So what's going on here? Well, I think he knew that this young man wanted to hold on to something, wanted some things to be part of his life that would be center of his life, more so than Jesus could be. His money, his possessions, maybe his house, maybe his car, maybe his music, his job. Maybe some of those things, maybe his family, meant too much to him so that Jesus knew he would not be center in his life. And that face-to-face encounter, Jesus focused on the one of the commandments that wasn't mentioned. Have no other gods before me. Because all these things that I mentioned, the money and the cars and the the music, they're modern-day gods. But the young man said, no. No. Those things to him were worth holding on to, things he couldn't let go to let Jesus in. And I wonder if Jesus was to put his finger on something in your life today, what would it be that seems to be something you're holding on to that's pushing Jesus off center stage, something that's just more important, more precious to you than the treasure that has... Eternity written all over it. So what do we do? Just move on to the next slide, please. Well, name it and shame it. Name it and shame it. Now I'm not asking you uh, if the thing came to your mind there, that this is my wife, actually. that's center of my life. I'm not asking you to uh, give up your wife so that you can become a Christian. I'm not asking you to name your wife so that she's the one that loses out, out of this deal. No, I'm talking about greed. And I'm talking about glory as well. The things that can stop you getting close to Christ are greed and glory. Glory may be the idea that you want to be seen as somebody more important than you ought to be, even in your small circle of friends are powerful within your own organization or within your own group that's glory greed is very subtle it's not just about roman abramovich greed is very subtle there's plenty of people queuing up uh, in in the uh, in the news agents for lottery tickets hoping for the big win greed is very subtle it says in luke chapter 12 be on your guard for any form of greed it's not just about the rich it's about hopefully us ordinary uh, people people watch who watch top gear and think i wish i had one of those cars maybe not jeremy clarkson but you look at the program and you think yeah that's what would give me the status and the power and the feeling uh, of having arrived. It's greed. And eventually, the things that you want to possess will come to possess you through greed. And let me tell you from personal experience, in a split second, the speed of a car can go out of control. And once that happens, just like the young man, Lee, who we read about in the paper this week, just in a split second, you are also out of control and you don't know how it's going to end up. Life can change so dramatically when we give ourselves over to things that are not sure foundations. Those things that we think are attractive and dependable, we find it's, it's a foundation that's based on sand. And we've turned away from the one rock solid, sure foundation, the ever present help in our time of trouble. Car, possessions, money, celebrity status, or whatever turns you on. Even a few pints a night. In a pub or a bottle of wine a day. These things can take center stage in your life. And they're not solid foundations for life. They are sandy, sinking sand. The enemy of our soul convinces us that they're worth holding onto. But these things prevent us from allowing Jesus to have center stage in our lives that one rock-steady, sure foundation. And so that's what Jesus was doing here. He latched onto that one commandment, the one commandment that he couldn't buy, have no other gods before me. The danger is that we think we need to earn more than we need. We think uh, we... um, Can attain uh, a status or a fame uh, that isn't going to be worth having. These are modern-day gods. And I ask, how do we free ourselves from those things? Well, I say, name it and shame it. Call it what it is. Call it greed. Call it a craving for, some, in some small way, glory. More over time, more winnings, more pleasure, more beauty treatment, more sex, more money will make you feel fulfilled. That's a lie. Call it what it is. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, it says in John 10.10. Most of you know the end of it. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He can only tell you lies and all of those moors and excesses. It's a lie. More isn't the answer. Name it and shame it. John Wesley uh, said, rich means to have the necessities of life, food, shelter, and clothing. John Wesley said, those are the necessities of life, food, shelter, and clothing, and then something left over. If you have something left over, that makes you rich, in John Wesley's definition. But in 2015, we have increased the number of things that we regard as necessities. An iPad, an iPhone, a laptop. One of these TVs that connects to the computer. I haven't got one of those yet. Uh, Two holidays, two cars, three cars, three holidays. Gym membership. (laughs) Hundreds of things that we call necessities. They're luxuries. Name it what it is. Name it what it is. Wesley says, shelter, food, clothing. Those are necessities. And to have these and something left over, as most of us have, makes us rich. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you detect those early signs of greed, those things which are creeping in to take center stage of your life that's pushing Jesus out onto a a margin. It may seem center stage. Jesus may seem center stage to you because you're here. You worship every Sunday. But ask the Holy Spirit to shine a light at those things. Talk it through in your house groups, your home groups or small groups. What do you call them? Cell groups? Home groups. Talk it through your lifestyles, and and examine how you can live a normal Christian lifestyle. Name it and shame it. I'm just trying to cut down here a little bit. So let's move on to our third point, the look of love. The look of love. I think it's in the story that Jesus looked at this young man with love, and he knelt before him. Did you miss that in the story, that this young man knelt before him? Sometimes I think this young man gets a bad press, but it says he knelt before Jesus. And Jesus looked straight at him with love and said, you need only one thing, and then he goes in to sell all you have, give the money to the poor. That look of love is a look which allows that rich young man to stand up and walk away. Imagine the disciples there with Jesus thinking, he has that young man there right there to make him one of the followers, and Jesus lets him stand up and walk away. As the young man says to Jesus, by his body language anyway, no deal, it's too much. And Jesus lets him walk away. That's the look of love. That's the freedom that Jesus gives each of us, the look that gives us the freedom to bow down before him or to walk away. The freedom that each of us and each of our friends and relatives and acquaintances have today. The look of love wants you to stay on your knees, wants you to have him as Lord and Savior, but allows you the choice. The choice is yours. Love me or leave me? That's the question. Love me or leave me? I hope your answer is to love him. Choose Christ. The young man in this story walked away. Do you know something I like to think? There's another end into this story that isn't recorded. There's something about me that thinks if this was a real event rather than a parable, which it clearly seems to be. I like to think there's another end where the man comes back to Jesus. This same man. And he says to Jesus, Do you know something, Lord? You were right. These things couldn't buy me life in all its fullness. Rich man's toys, he's had them all. He's had the experiences. And he comes back to Jesus. And I like to think he comes and he says, you were right, I'll do it now, he says to Jesus. And do you know what I imagine Jesus would have said to him? Do you know what? You don't need to do it now. I imagine Jesus would say, You're in that place where you're prepared to give up those things, and that's the place. Not that we should all go out and empty our bank balances because of this sermon, but to be in that place where we know that that possession is not possessing us, that it is the Lord's, and we are stewards of those things, that we're holding on to nothing except Christ. The look of love will not impose itself on us, but will give us the freedom to love him or leave him. And I invite you to choose Christ. Amen. And lastly, the eye of the needle. This uh, little illustration, if you, might, uh, if, if you like, that Jesus has given them, sort of some of the little illustration that preachers have loved to talk about, uh, over years. Uh, I don't think we need to get uh, caught up too much. I quite like the one, uh, the, the story uh, from commentaries where it says that all the walled cities uh, in, in, uh, in those times uh, had a nighttime entrance and a daytime entrance and the camels and all the uh, beasts of burden and uh, vehicles and things Uh, would come in in the day entrance and go into the walled city. But there was a night entrance where all of the camels would stay outside, but a man or a woman with permission could crouch down and come in through uh, that nighttime door. Uh, And there is evidence, archaeological evidence, that that doorway was called the Eye of the Needle. So I quite like that one if you're worried about what it's all about, but this, um, I'm sure Peter, who used to be here, has got uh, many different solutions to why Jesus used that phrase, but I like that one. Uh, so what do we do? What do we do if... I oh, just caught that. I thought that's, that's not my point. Uh, <laughs> that's the point which says stop soon. Um, so what can we do? Money can't buy life. Uh, Not life with a capital L anyway. Um, John 10.10, which is the verse I didn't finish earlier. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it in abundance. What do we do? Well, the first answer is in that. Let him be center stage in your life. Invite him in. Uh, Assure him again and again that he is your Lord and Savior, in your prayers and in your own devotions. Uh, I like the story from uh, of George Orwell, uh, who admitted uh, writing during the time of World War II, actually, that not that that's significant, but he, he, he wrote about uh, something cruel that he did. It was to a wasp that landed on the jam on his plate when he was having breakfast outside. And in cruelty, he cut the wasp in half as it gorged itself on his jam. And as he observed, the wasps continued to feast, not knowing that actually its life had ended. It was cut off from its life supply and it still thought the jam was worth having. It's a picture of what we do in the world, if we think the world's pleasures and the world's wares are more satisfying than the rock steady solution and foundation that Jesus gives us. So, make Christ that Lord of your life. Secondly, earn to live. Don't live to earn. Okay, it's a catchphrase. I'm hoping that you catch a hold of some of these. To go through the eye of the needle, you become, you need to become part of God's adventure to be a blessing to others. I'm not talking about money and giving there. I'm talking about your time and your small acts of kindness and your neighborliness. Earn to live, not live to earn. Nextly, these are quick fire. Live within your means, okay? I speak as an accountant. Before I became a minister, I was a chartered accountant, so I used to spend. <laughs> My life saying these type of things to people. Live within your means. Spend less than you earn or spend less than your pension, whatever. Next one. Give a percentage of your income back to God's work. Now, I'm not talking about giving a tenner today. I'm not talking about giving a or today. I'm talking about a percentage. And whether you are tithing in a minimum of 10%, that's up to you to work out yourselves. But what I would suggest you do is give a percentage. Work out how much you earn and multiply it by 5%, multiply it by 1%. Give a percentage so that you know you're being deliberate about giving to God's work. I believe in tithing, but I'm not wanting somebody to feel burdened by it. But I'm suggesting that you are deliberate about working out what is X percent that you could possibly give, rather than the loose chain. So give uh, a percentage of your income to God's work. And lastly, learn to live. Enjoy the fruit of your labor. Learn to um, acknowledge God's sovereignty over your life. Seek his prompting. Ask him what you can do to serve him. Name and shame those things which you call greed or which are tempting you to seek power and glory for yourself. Be on your guard of those things. Going back to Abramovich to conclude, he couldn't buy life, not with a capital L as we've been talking about today. He couldn't buy the premiership. He could buy the club, but it certainly seems this year that he's not going to buy the premiership. You're probably not even football fans here, are you? Um, (coughs) He can't buy it. But I like the story of the new man, the new kid on the block, Jürgen Klopp. He's a Christian. He's a born-again Christian, I believe, according to Premier Christian Radio. And he was asked a question uh, about his life and about would he talk to the press, be prepared to speak to the press about... Uh, his views. And he said to the interviewer, to be a believer, but not to want to talk about it, I don't know how that would work. Not because I claim to be any sort of missionary, he said, but when I look at my life, I feel I am sensationally in good hands. His life is in God's hands. And thousands of Liverpool fans are putting their trust in him, but he has not put his trust in himself. He has put his trust in the Lord Jesus. Isn't that lovely? So watch this space. Jürgen Klopp, I think he's going to be quite a a good ambassador for Christ. So that's a little talk about this story of that rich young man coming to Jesus, knelt at his feet, uh, and it was a price tag moment for him. And then Jesus let him walk away. What's your price tag moment? What's the greed that's tempting you? What's the glory that's tempting you? Name it. Shame it. Give it up here today. Even as you come to worship now, allow that to be your bowing down and handing it all back over to him. As you come to receive uh, the bread and the wine, allow that to be a yes to God for him to still have center stage in your life. Choose Christ. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to look again at your Scriptures. Give us obedient hearts and lead us now, Lord, into that time of worship and adore, our adoration, so that we give you your rightful central place here in this fellowship and here in our hearts. Amen.